May the words of my mouth, the thoughts of our hearts, be acceptable to Thee, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please sit down. Good morning. I am so pleased to be here this morning in this beautiful sanctuary. I've never been here before. And I really like it. It's a beautiful <laughs> one. Uh, let me ask a question before I preach so that I relax and I don't get stressed out. How many of you have ever, ever seen a guy like this, a short man like this with this color, from South Asia with all these robes in your church before. <laughs> when did you see a guy like this last? No, so I'm the first one, huh? You saw. All right. Okay, good. There is someone who will understand me better. Okay. Well, I am from South Asia. I come from a country called Pakistan, which is so popular, so famous. <laughs> So known. Even the children who are about to be born in the United States of America have heard Pakistan. <laughs> but it's not all that bad. It has a reputation, but well, we'll go into that in detail later, but not in the sermon today. And I'm grateful to God for being here, sharing my faith sharing the experiences that we have had as Christians and sharing some of the things uh, that we have learned as a minority Christian in a predominantly Islamic context. It's fun and it's scary also sometimes but that's the challenge and the gospel text over the past few weeks, you know, we've had some very turbulent flight in our journey of faith over the past few weeks. There's been tremendous turbulence. Did you notice that? A few weeks ago, we hear this statement from the scriptures coming, do you guys think I've come to give peace in the world? And that is what if you think you're absolutely wrong because I have not come to give peace in the world. I've come to divide the world. Oh my God, that was terrible. I had to preach on that and I was struggling what to say. And the flight this morning of our gospel text again isn't a pleasant one. It's not a smooth one. It again raises some very, very serious issues. Now, until you hate your mother, your father, your brother, your son, your daughter, and including yourself, you cannot be my disciple. What kind of a Jesus do we believe in? A Jesus who is primarily saying, hate. If you want to be my follower, nothing to do with your dad or mom. Nothing to do with your brothers or sisters. Have you heard about this in Christianity? Is this what we have learned in all our life now, I celebrated my, I won't tell you my age, but you can guess it, okay? I celebrated my birthday last Sunday. And over the past so many years of my life, the only thing that I have heard as a Christian is love your father, 
respect your mother love your neighbor as yourself that means you love yourself and the Lord Jesus is saying as much as you love yourself therefore you love your neighbors and here Dr. Luke this morning tells you and me hey guys listen Jesus says if you want to be my disciples hate everything you love oh. no wonder the church attendance is getting thinner and thinner now I guess. Well, we will take this very difficult passage of the gospel and we will try to squeeze it as much as we can, if possible, and see if there is some positive juice that comes out of it. I'm pretty sure there is some positivity to this very difficult text. I'm pretty sure. Because I want to believe in a Jesus who talks of peace. I want to believe in a Jesus who talks of love. I want to believe in a Jesus as a Christian living in Pakistan or lived in Pakistan to be tolerant and to accept those who may not understand you. Alright? And so I'm going to try to squeeze with you as much as we can. But before we go on to that exercise, let us come to a consensus. What do you think is the theme of the text? What can we come to a consensus on a, on a subject? You know, and I think, now you can disagree with me, I think one of the major themes of this particular gospel text is on the whole subject or the focus is on discipleship, on being a disciple. Do you agree or disagree with me? Agreed? I say we are in the general conference, okay? All right. Okay, there you go. So if we accept this as a correct conclusion and a correct analysis, let us try to then understand what is this son of a carpenter trying to tell his followers and trying to tell his people the biblical or the spiritual perspective of being a disciple. Now, the other thing that comes to my mind is, is there, is there then a difference between believing and worshipping and in being a disciple of Christ? Is there a difference or is it all the same? I don't know. We'll try to figure that out. Is there a difference between, believe, between a believing Christian and in a disciple of Jesus Christ? Let me have another question. I have a lot of questions today. Another question. Why are we Christians? Why are we Christians? Why aren't you a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Sikh or a Maoist or whatever. Why are you a Christian? Or why am I a Christian? It's a simple question. It's not a difficult question, is it? May have a, it's a simple question with a very difficult answer probably. And some people can respond to this question at the 
spur of the moment. You've not even finished your question and they'll say, Oh, yeah, I know Sammy Azariah, why I am a Christian, because I was born of Christian parents. I was born in a Christian family and therefore I'm a faithful, loyal Christian. And many of us believe that and many of us are Christians because we were born to Christian parents or in a Christian family. There's another group of people say, well, you know, I needed identity. I want an identity. And who else could I identify myself better than with a group of people who call themselves Christians? The largest group probably in the world up till now, but shrinking soon. So, I'm a Christian. And there's a third group like me who would say, well, I'm a Christian and thanks be Thanks be to the missionaries, the white people who came from Europe or the United States of America and who were with us in our part of the land, gave us some cheese and milk and some good food to eat, gave us some clothes, gave us some shelter, helped us migrate. And therefore I believe that this is the best group to be in. And I took my baptism, so I am a Christian. Right? But there may be some of us who do all this, who come to church every Sunday, who do all the worship service, but are still struggling within themselves to figure out why are they Christians? Why do they call themselves Christians? All right. Reverend Nathan... I asked you how long can I preach and I, you said I could preach as long as I want. So blame him, not me after that. Okay. Okay. Well, in my interpretation of the gospel text, the gospel text probably is trying to teach us to live in a particular way to live in a way that allows Jesus Christ to have meaning. That the person of Jesus Christ has meaning and has an impact on the lives of others. And that is why probably he focuses on what he focuses. So, being a Christian, seeking baptism, or for that matter even confirmation there are two ele elements that come out of it number one asking what we do how we think how we act upon to the presence of Christ recognizing the presence of Christ number one and how do we think speak and act upon that presence of Christ. And that is why we go through this process of baptism and confirmation, recognizing that the presence of Christ is with me and within me. Number two, and how can we continue to be a learning community? rather than just being a teaching community 
the church is very fond of teaching. It likes to teach and teach and teach and teach. But very seldom do we take a breath, a deep breath, chill out and learn. We have a problem, don't we? Most of the churches have a problem. We keep talking, talking, talking. Right. So, keeping that in context, for me to be a disciple of Jesus is a state of being. Is a state of being. Discipleship, therefore, is just not things we believe in and the decisions we make. But discipleship is a practical manifestation and witness to a particular question which the disciples of John the Baptist asked Jesus. Do you know what question they asked him? Can you think of that question which the disciples of John the Baptist... Now John comes walking and as he sees Jesus he says Behold the Son of God. And, his dis and he stops there. The one I was waiting for is this one. And he stops there. And some of his disciples keep following Jesus. And then they ask a question to Jesus. And the question is, Master, Rabbi, where do you live? Where do you live? Santa Monica, Los Angeles, or Rancho Cucumanga, where I live. Where do you live? And Jesus says, come and see, come and see, come on. And they keep following him. And then the scripture says, they stay with him for that day. It doesn't say whether it was a house, whether it was a mud house, whether it was a big house, whether it was an open field, we don't know. But he took him, took them to a place where he got energy from, where he got strength from. And they stayed with him for the rest of the day. So what is discipleship in my opinion? In my opinion, discipleship is all about staying with Jesus. It's all about being with Jesus in his presence. And Jesus reconfirms this thought again in the Gospel of John where he says, Abide in me, abide in me, and abide in my love. Without me, you can do nothing. Is that true? I am the wine, what? Wine tree? I've never seen a wine tree, but... Okay, and you are the branches. Abide in me if you want to have some meaning of your life. If you want to have juice in your life, abide in me. Abide in my love. So discipleship primarily to me is being in the presence of the Lord. 
being in his strength. So, discipleship does not mean turning up once a week faithfully and loyally every Sunday for a one-hour refresher course. That is not discipleship. There is a major difference between a committed and worshipping Christian and a disciple. So being a disciple, by being disciples, we do not want to miss out or we do not want to compromise on God. We do not want to compromise on Jesus Christ in the fast-changing circumstances of our society and of our world. I'm flipping two pages together. Okay. So to sustain this approach, that we are not supposed to compromise God and Jesus Christ, we need to be constant, constantly and consistently in the presence of Christ. And a question that should come or would come or can come to our mind is, Sammy, tell us, where do we sense the company of Jesus? Where do we sense the presence of Jesus? And how do we help ourselves understand that? And how do we help others understand the presence of Jesus? Good question. I don't have a good answer for that. But all I can say is, we find it in the whole struggle and effort of emptying ourself, which is self-denial. Which is self-denial. The most difficult thing that any one of us has to face. And with this base question, can I ask another question? What place does Christian discipleship has in our nation? This is, when I was a young boy, I'd never seen the United States. I'd seen movies and documentaries. Oh boy, it looks such a beautiful country. It is a beautiful country. Oh, everybody was so nice and loving. And I said, oh, one day, dear God, I want to see this country, not knowing that I'll be a part of the country. Okay? What a beautiful country. What a blessed country. What a fortunate country. It's a great country. It has its issues, it has its problems, but it is a great country, nevertheless. But in this great nation of the United States of America, how do we understand this perspective of Christian discipleship? Do we have any concept of Christian discipleship here? Oh no, Bishop. We are a different brand of people altogether. We live in a country which talks of equality and freedom. This is a subject we don't want to talk about. This is a private affair. This has got nothing to do in sharing. This is private. Your faith is private. It's your freedom. We take for granted 
that we are free to believe and practice as we wish. Right? That's a beautiful thing. Freedom is something that the Lord came to give. But how do we understand it is a different subject. In my opinion, this perspective of freedom, and this is what I've learned here after I've been here for a couple or plus more years. In my opinion, this freedom is no different, this freedom on faith and discipleship, is no different from what we feel like wearing or buying. I'm free to wear whatever I want to. I'm free to buy whatever I want to. I'm free to practice and believe whatever I wish. So we've made a huge salad bowl of our freedom. A huge salad bowl. This thought of freedom may have some connections, I think, with the concept of human rights. Availability of freedom to choose what would we make and how can the individual be contented. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But when overstretched, it can create complications. This is an important element, I think, in the whole system of capitalism, with its goal of increasing the range of every individual to personal choices. And we have brought that in our whole perspective of discipleship also. Maybe this is what the gospel is warning us about. Our market society has become a very important organ of our existence, whereby the society secures and develops its common prosperity. That's true. But then on the other side, what happens? On the other side, there is nothing like an equal distribution of resources. There is inequality all over. Damaging inequalities have grown in our times. This is affecting the normal function of our society. Fairness in trade conditions are limited, and I'm not talking of the United States of America and China. Fairness in trade conditions are limited in our world. Coming from where I am coming, especially for nations and communities who have never had, they've never had a foot on the ladder of world economy are lost, are completely lost. And secondly, the culture is full with the language of relative values and consumerism. It is in this environment when we go into our market society of consumerism and when I go into the store and I see and I read, oh, a special Labor Day sale, you know, and something which I love to have was costing me $145 is now for $63. 
and I want to possess it. I'm not thinking of my neighbor. I'm not thinking of the other person around. That is the psychology we are all enslaved in. And the church is struggling to talk about loving. So Christ takes a complete reverse turn. Guys, hit them hard, hit them where it hurts them, and tell them if you want to be my disciple, you have to give up all these things. Giving up these values and be a disciple. Now, you and me are disciples of the post-resurrection era. Our capacity and our depth of understanding should be more than the first disciples of Jesus Christ. Shouldn't they be? They should be, with all the development that has taken place. We need to look at each other. Look at each other with hope. Look at each other for purposes of learning, which is not an easy task, because that is where humility is required. So in my opinion, Jesus is not saying or is not talking about hatred, but primarily talking about selecting your priorities in the complex world that we live in today. Understanding the meaning of life and the deep meaning of life. We, fortunately, have a large, large number of committed believers. We have a large number of Sunday worshippers. We have a large number of born-again Christians. But I think in the factory of all this manufacturing, we only have a limited edition of disciples. A very limited edition of disciples, you know. But we can be a part of it. Calculate the blessings you have. Calculate the great nation you are a part of. Select the priorities. And then we will be qualified to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. And may she daily increase in your Holy Spirit more and more until she comes to your everlasting kingdom. Amen. Amen. Amen.